Well, I'm going to switch right into the message that we're giving. We've got my friends here, John, who's on staff. Yeah, oh, yeah. He demands a clap. Look at that guy. And, and, and Andrew, who was a pastor on staff for seven years, something like that. It felt longer than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and Andrea now it works with Project 111 and Care Portal, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty amazing. Uh, what, what we've been doing for the last four weeks, if you haven't been here, it, not the last four weeks, the last three weeks, and we got one more week next week, is focusing on mission. It's just this idea that a healthy community is just like a healthy body. We take a breath in, and you want to take the breath out, right? If you just hold that breath in, things aren't going to go that well for you. Um, but we kind of can do that as, our, as the church, can't we? Where I just, I need more air, I need more air. No, you don't need to breathe out. And that out is, is our mission, is, is sharing what we found, sharing the feast with the hungry, right? That we were just talking about in that moment of transition. So, um, so the first Sunday was Tim Way, he's a missionary in Uganda. Does anybody remember what Tim gave us? Three things. Pray. Do something. And persevere. I, from this section over here, you guys need like a gold star or something. Said pray. Do something and persevere. It's pretty simple. And then last week we talked about, well, now you guys are going to lose your gold star if you don't pay attention in class. Now the kids are all going crazy over there. <laughs> last week we talked about how is Jesus believable? Why should anybody believe Jesus? And in short, it's, it's when we, his, his kids are one with each other. And if you want to know what, what that's all about, it's through the Holy Spirit and loving each other. And the purpose of it is to, to embody the image of God, the character of God on the earth. God is the most attractive being ever. He's just attractive. It, 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 to the degree that there's beings in his throne room that just keep on saying, holy, holy, holy. They don't have enough vocabulary than to say you're completely other and beautiful. And so when we are one with one another, we become the image of God on the earth. And, and so we're going to talk about today, what does that image look like as we do mission to the vulnerable among us? Okay, so we being the image of God in a mission, a breathe out to focus on others besides ourselves, what we're calling the vulnerable. And just real quickly, I'm going to give this intro and then hand it over to these guys, but who are the vulnerable in Scripture? What do they mean by that? And just something that's helpful to know that, like in, in Israelite culture, there's something called the Father's house. And the Father's house is what everything was built on. So each family in the Father's house would have, you know, father, mother, and the kids, and then also the sons who married and their kids, and they, and they had their own land, and in and, and on that land and through the father, they'd receive all the justice they need. They actually judge, you know, if they're, you know, squabbles and things like that. Provision. They had their own land to live on that provided for them and they worked for them. There's protection. They could band together and protect one another. Um, they, they had a sense of identity. 
I'm from here. That's for us, we call it a last name, though I'm a Smith, so I don't know what that says about my identity. Uh, pretty, pretty generalized. But, but uh, and, and that's where they learn their faith, and that's where they have community. And so all of Israel is built by all these fathers' houses that became a clan, and then that, a bunch of clans together became a tribe, and that's how they were as a nation. The problem is, though, there were some people that they didn't have a father's house. And that was orphans. Why? Because father's gone. The, in Hebrew, you'll see, when we talk about orphan, it, 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 the, the same word is translated one way, fatherless or orphan. NIV will put it fatherless. Uh, New American Standard will say orphan, depends. Also, the widows. Widows, it, they, they couldn't necessarily own land. And so how are you going to provide for yourself? How are you going to have community? How are you going to have protection? And then the foreigner, the foreigner who's from another, another entire tribe, another nation, was, they were considered the vulnerable in ancient Israelite culture. And so what I want to do for just a second, what was God's heart toward the vulnerable? How did God think about the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner? Here's just a few verses. And we post online with the, with the uh, video an entire scriptural study that if you want to dive deep into it, there's so much throughout the, the scriptures about this. But the headlines here is this is, this is Father's, God the Father's view of his heart toward the vulnerable. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Then the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Even in uh, the very law that he gave to Israel, this is on Mount Sinai, God's talking about how he wants them to live. He says, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Do you sense a little bit of fierceness in God about the vulnerable? And here's one of the reasons in, the, in, in Mosaic law, in God's law gave to Moses... He says, why? Why I want you to do this. He said, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you're to love those who are foreigners. Why? For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So we realize when we talk about the vulnerable, we're all the vulnerable at some level. And finally, one of the things, so, so when Israel wasn't living out their relationship with God, this covenant, this agreement of, yes, this is how we're going to live this thing out, God would send the prophets to call them back to that covenant. And so here's what he's saying to Israel through Isaiah. He says, you guys, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, your worship service, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. What is going on here? Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing 
wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. And what does that look like? Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This is so interesting. Brooke didn't know what we were speaking about, but she had this idea of that, that our worship is not simply in this moment where we're together of singing songs, though it's important. It's a life lived out. So much so. It's so meaningful to God that he actually would say, I would rather you cancel your worship services if you're not taking care of the vulnerable. This is heavy duty, isn't it? It's like, whoa. That's what I, I, I've been praying this this week, like Brooke did. Lord, this is over my head. This is over my pay grade. You're going to have to help me here. And what's so beautiful, he does. Then, then we look in the book of James that if, in case we're wondering if that's just all Israel and Old Testament and in Old Covenant, not at all. James brings, you can hear him, James's whole uh, fluency with Israelites' narrative of saying, hey, if you guys want to know what it really is to be religious, to be following after God, it's religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. One thing Andrea told me is most, most of us churches, we get one of those two. We, we'll do the orphans and widows, but we don't do so great with keeping from being polluted by the world or vice versa. But we're, we're, we're commanded to do both. And what's so cool, wasn't Josh's word so good that, that I often think of the cost of sacrifice rather than the feast he's offering me. I'm eating fruit snacks for heaven's sake. That just doesn't make a great meal. He's offering me a feast. And so what we're going to really focus on, I'm just trying to set the biblical you know, uh, framework for how God feels about this, is that we have our own vulnerable in Tulsa, particularly orphans. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And so Andrea, who is really an expert in this, uh, living it out day in and day out, is going to tell us a little bit about it. So Andrea, go. Guile always thinks I'm an expert in things, and I'm not. I just, I just know how to use my words and talk about it. So, um, yeah. So um, I work for 111 Project, just real quick. And, and the whole reason I know about this, um, to give you a picture of that, 111 Project exists to mobilize the local church in Oklahoma so that every child has a family in the state of Oklahoma. It's pretty simple. Um, I love the local church, and you guys are my favorite local church. So, congratulations. Um, <laughs> um, I get to work with churches all across the state. And I can tell you this, that when the bride of Christ steps into this work, she's stunning. She's breathtaking. I am humbled every day by the beauty of the bride of Christ. Not because she looks beautiful in her temple and the stained glass or whatever. I see churches of all kind all across the state. She's beautiful because she gets her feet dirty. And she goes and she supports and helps the vulnerable. And that's what the church is all about. And the reason that I love you guys so much is because I learned how to do this in part right here amongst you guys. I learned about um, working with kids from trauma right here. In this, in this house, down that hall. 
And I'm so grateful for the investment of that in my life and how it shaped it shaped my trajectory. And so I come, I come with you to share these stats today, um, not because I love statistics, but because they tell a story, you know? They tell a story of people. I, one thing I was thinking when Guile was reading through those verses, um, as far as I know, biblical scholar, maybe you can correct me, expert, um, <laughs> Guile and I have a great, we, we suffer the ministry of awkward moments together, is what we do, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. You have no idea. And, <laughs> and today we're here to share our awkward moments in front of all of you. We feel real good about that. Um, no, the, I, I don't think the Bible ever says outside of when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Can I get an amen? Yeah. If you long for that, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. Because we all live in this brokenness, right? Until that point, the Bible never says, hey, church, you can eradicate fatherlessness. Hey, church, you can eradicate poverty. It doesn't say that. That's not actually the goal. The goal is to meet the broken in those places and to stay engaged in those places. I think in my young brain, my young Drehog brain, I thought that, that we had this chance to eradicate it. And we don't actually. Our, our mission to mobilize the church so that every child has a family um, is something that will always need to happen. The local church is always going to have something to do in this. We don't believe that we can eradicate the orphan, the widow, the fatherless. until That's actually Jesus' to do when he comes again and makes all things new. Um, and so as I share this with you today, it's tempting to look at these numbers and be like, Oh, we can knock those out. Unless you have the power to totally stop sin of everybody in Tulsa, okay, you don't have the power to do that. So what I want you to do when you think about it is just think, Jesus, how do you see this? That good old Sozo question, right? Yeah. Jesus, how do you see this? And what's mine to step into? Amen. Because I, the Bible also doesn't say this is optional, I'm going to bring the hammer for a second. He doesn't say some of you are called to engage with the orphan, the widow, and the vulnerable. Some of you are. And we are as a body, just like when we disciple our kids, it says, um, uh, you know, that you are to train up a child in the way that they should go. But the Bible is actually referencing the body of Christ should do that for the child, like the, the community of the followers of God should do that together like we're called to engage down there in the hall in that way. You're welcome, Zach Ripley. Bless you, brother. I used to have his job, so I get how important that is. Um, but this is one of those things. Like, there is some manner for you to engage, and we'll talk more about how to engage. That, that, that's prayer, but there's, there's lots of ways in here to engage. But everybody's called to do something, and I can assure you that there's enough to do. For that, for that to happen. So as we talk through that, that's sort of my framework, my thoughts. Am I missing anything? You want to just talk us through the numbers? Yes. Let's, yes, help me with the numbers because I don't have them memorized because <laughs> I'm not an expert. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this is called the continuum of care. If you were to go to orphan conferences like I do, I go to orphan conferences. It's not like where a bunch of orphans are. It's where a bunch of advocates are talking about how we can do our job well. But when you go to that, you hear a lot about the continuum of care. And that is these three, um, 
sections, prevention, intervention, and transition. So prevention happens in all manner of ways, all manner of ways. The schools are really probably the front line of prevention, especially in, in Tulsa. The schools see things before they become crisis. But Oklahoma DHS also has a program called Family-Centered Services, and that, that just references that if a family has gotten a referral call, there's been an investigation, and it's been deemed that that family can keep their kids um, safe, um, the kids are allowed to stay there. And that, that is purpose for the sake of sparing the trauma of removal, okay? When a removal happens and kids are removed from their home, no matter how terrible it is, it's trauma for them. It's also trauma for the parents who get the kids removed. If you've ever walked alongside a mama or a dad who's trying to work into reunify, I can tell you it's like Mount Everest of trauma to overcome. So anyway, in, in the prevention world, there are 282 kids currently in Tulsa who are in that prevention program. And those families that they're being allowed to stay with have some critical crisis need that, um, that the church actually has an opportunity to come alongside and help stabilize and shore up that home so that the kids can stay there, which is pretty cool that we can do that. Um, in this space, what you see a lot is relational poverty. I learned from Kara Mosby once when she talked at Hands on the Nations a long time ago that poverty looks, comes in lots of different forms and relational poverty is a big one. I always tell people that I'm like 800 steps away from homelessness because, mostly because all of you wouldn't let my family be homeless, right? I, I'm actually a relational bazillionaire, okay? <laughs> I, I have too many contacts in my phone. I, I, the other day, I had like 152 text messages. I had ignored my phone for like six hours, and I was like, good Lord, I need to, I don't know how to handle this, you know, <laughs> right? That's the group message. It's actually, true story, my fantasy football chat. That's what it was. <laughs> I'm in a couple different leagues, and it was both of them blowing up. So anyway, <laughs> Um, but I can tell you right now that not everybody is that, okay? Not everybody is a relational bazillionaire. A lot of times, well, raise your hand if you've ever experienced crisis in your life. Raise your hand. Was crisis isolating? Yes. Crisis is terribly isolating. And people don't know how to ask for help or they've burned bridges or whatever. And the other, the other thing that you see here a lot is generational cycles. And we'll talk more about that. But that, that area of prevention is a really important one, and there's an invitation for us to participate that in lots of different ways. The next section is intervention, and this is what we think of kind of traditionally as like the foster care space. When removal happens in child welfare, then they go to a foster home, and now everything should be fine because they're safe, right? But that's not exactly how it plays out. You've got trauma playing out. You've got just lots of different things playing out. So there are traditional foster homes, and then the next number is kinship foster homes. So what's the difference there? Traditional foster homes is like the stranger. They went and they got training at a um, foster care agency. They got licensed, and they, they took a stranger into their home. Um, that's what traditional foster families are. We have traditional foster families here amongst us in our body. We also have kinship 
families amongst us in our body. And kinship homes are those that they had some previous relationship with the family before. So when kids are getting removed from a home, the, the parents are asked to provide a list of people who might be willing to take their children. And that could be family, grandma, aunt, uncle, cousin, third cousin. But it could also be coach, teacher, pastor, anybody that they've known. And so those kinship homes are like overnight foster parents. They're literally the ones that get a call in the middle of the night. Are you willing to take a sibling set of four? Because they try and find placement for kids within the first 24 hours because the kids have to just wait at the office during that time. So they're making these phone calls. So kinship are literally overnight homes. And um, raise your hand if you have four extra beds in your home right now. Just waiting. No one does. But a lot of the times, these are sibling sets. So, hey, Grandma. Actually, last week, um, there was a family that we were working with that was a great-grandmother who took in her five great-grandkids. Yeah. And she had three extra beds, but she needed two more. And the, the churches in Carter and Love County were able to provide those two extra beds and bedding and all of that through Care Portal. But those families need support. You might think traditional families, um, Jono and his wife were a traditional family, that they don't need any support because they've got it, they knew what they were getting into, but I would argue that that's not exactly true. They're also the population of people that will never ask for help, okay? Because they got themselves into it, they know what they got into, and they don't want to burden others. And um, traditional foster care is often very isolating. You're dealing with things in your home that other parents aren't dealing with, that the moms at the moms group don't necessarily understand because trauma is unique and trauma in kids is very unique. And so they need us. Both of these populations of people need us. And they, we have them here amongst our body. Those are our first priority. Let's take good care of them. But in addition to that, in the state of, in city of Tulsa, there's 279 traditional foster homes and 245 kinship foster homes. There's 13 kids in Tulsa in a shelter somewhere in the state. Those kids are from Tulsa, but they're in a shelter. Typically, um, they have high therapeutic needs for behavioral um, needs, and there's a, that's hard to place them in a family. And currently, um, we're seeing a lot of like um, sexual orientation, gender identity crisis happening and playing out in the shelter um, because there's not a home that can handle that kind of chaos that's happening currently. Um, and then in the city of Tulsa, there are 1,083 kids in state care. 1,083 kids. Our statewide number as of September 1st, these are August 1st numbers, but as of um, September 1st is 6,663 kids in the state, and like one-sixth of them are here in Tulsa. I can encourage you that that number is way down. Seven years ago, it was over 12,500. Wow. Yeah. And one of the key factors that's brought it down is the engagement of the church. And we'll, we'll paint that picture for you in a little bit, but I can tell you there is room here to make a difference. So, can the churches in Tulsa take care of 1,083 kids? There's probably more than 1,000 churches in Tulsa, right? Probably more so. But 202 of our kids from Tulsa County had to be placed in another county because we didn't have enough families to take care of them. Because if you do the math real quick, 
And if you don't count kinship foster homes, because oftentimes those are from other counties, if you just look at the traditional foster homes, um, is 279 foster homes enough to take care of 1,083 kids? Not even close, right? So 202 of our kids have had to go out of county. And we talk about this all over Oklahoma in all the different counties. Um, and that number is that in every county. We just need more homes. And the transition, you have a lot of things. You have adoption, reunification, aging out, all those things. So we're going to look at those numbers really quick. Um, currently in Tulsa, there are 59 kids right now legally free for adoption that don't have a home. They're probably in a foster home or some situation where they're temporarily, they can't be adopted there for whatever reason. Um, a lot of times this is sibling, this represents sibling sets that, that want to be adopted together or it represents children with high medical needs or high behavioral needs. 59 kids. Currently in Tulsa, we have 30 kids at risk of aging out. So that just means they're about to turn 18. Raise your hand if you turned 18 your senior year of high school. Okay. Yeah. You don't remember? Okay. It was a long time ago for John. <laughs> wow, John. I, don't, I was trying to get to college. We can ask your mom. John's, si John's, <laughs> yeah. John's 68, so oh, he looks great soul, for his age. Old soul. That's good. So 30 kids at risk of aging out. So when they turn 18 and they're living with a foster family, that foster family no longer receives stipend. And oftentimes those foster families ask that, that youth to leave. And oftentimes the youth says, peace out. I'm done. I'm done with the system. I'm out. Um, and that's a really high-risk population. 20% of them go directly into homelessness. And after the first 18 months, 40, 40 to 45% are homeless. And I can tell you, it's not because there aren't resources for them. There's this program in Oklahoma called OXA. They can get their college paid for. They can get a housing subsidy. They're they taken care of. But what's at play there is relational poverty. Because they don't have family. Because they're vulnerable. They don't have, they're fatherless, right? They don't have that. And they need people who know how to do life. I did not know how to do life when I was 18. I clearly had it figured out by the time I was 20 when I married Chris Hogue and we started having children. <laughs> what on earth? What, who let me do that? I don't know. It's worked out. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the next number is um, reunification. So 50% of all kids in foster care get successfully reunified with their parents. And this is the goal of foster care. The goal of foster care is reunification. We hear a lot about foster to adopt. That's actually not the goal of foster care. The goal is to, to um, preserve family unit. And part of that is because when they age out of the system, 70, 76% of them goes directly back to the family that they were removed from, who's not safe or in, in addiction cycles or something. There's a drive in all of us to go back home, you know? So what if we could make this number more? What if it could be 100% of kids are reunified? What if it could even be 75% of kids are reunified? Like I mentioned, um, I've walked with many women who are working to reunify and have successfully reunified. And my one friend I want to tell you about, her name's Regina. She works at the Panera at 15th, and she works in the catering. So if you have anything you need to cater, go 
go use her, okay? She's doing great. I met her, um, the elder Longs, not, not Scott Long, but his parents. They're, I don't know where you are, but you guys had a mattress that you were getting rid of. You, you guys don't even know you did this, but you guys had a mattress you were getting rid of, and somebody brought it to my garage, which happens often, okay? Y'all need to pray for Chris Hogue because he has to deal with that garage. But um, um, so I, I found a need on Care Portal, and Regina came by and picked it up, and Ashton, my daughter, and I loaded up for her, and I had like a 10-minute interaction with her, and I just said a few words. I said, hey, Regina, I don't really know you, you know, ministry of awkward moments, right? Um, I don't really know you, and I just know you in this moment, and what I know about you is that you're working really hard to get your daughter back, and I just want you to know that I believe you can do that, and I believe you're the best thing for your daughter, and I'm cheering for you, okay? I am no saint in saying that because I honestly, they're probably in the back of my head. I was thinking of the list of ways that she could mess that up, right? But what I said and in, in effort to be kind was those things. And at the very end of our conversation, I said, hey, I'd love to hear updates. Well, I say that to a lot of people and they don't take me up on it. But Regina texted me every week for the next 10 months, okay? And... Um, I, uh, it occurred to me at some point in that 10 months that relational poverty was playing in because why was she telling a complete stranger, updating a complete stranger about the most important thing in her life, right? Why would she do that if she didn't have anybody else to do it? And I realized that she had a lot of voices in her life that were telling her what to change, how to be different, all of those. And I was, I, the Lord held me, held, hold that line of encouragement. I can't tell you how many times I said, I'm so proud of you. I believe in you. Keep going. I didn't, I didn't correct. It was like this sacred space I had, right? And um, anyway, she, after 10 months, she got reunified with her daughter. And uh, James and I, my son and I went over and we took a care package. She sat on the mattress that the Longs had given. And I sat in the one chair she had in her apartment and we had a holy moment. And we visited for about an hour and she told me about her story. She told me about the generational sin at play. Do you guys know the Bible says that the sins of the father will be visited to three and four generations, right? And um, we know that that's true, actually, because you can talk to Ken Weed or Ashton Hogue, and they can tell you about how that's displayed genetically. You can see trauma for four generations, trauma or sin, right? If it's, if it's in science and it's also in the Bible, probably good chance it's true, okay? So um, that, that generational sin was at play. Her mother was still an addict at this point. Actually, she'd been clean for five months, her mother, and Regina and I are about the same age. Um, she'd been clean for about five months, and all of her brothers were in prison for the like 40, 30 to 40 year sentences, and she was the only one. And she sat on that mattress, and I've never said these words to her, and she said to me, Dree, it, it's stopping here. My daughter will never know what I knew. She will never know what I knew. And I was like, for a thousand generations, Regina, you know, for a thousand generations. Because that's the Bible, that's what the Bible promises us. And she had, in her rehabilitation, had come to know Jesus and like pursue him and follow him. And I just got to be along for the ride, you know. And 
we had a really, really holy, beautiful moment, and we're still in touch. I would have never met Regina without engaging in this space, without Care Portal, without the Long's mattress. I would have never met Regina, you know? Um, and I'm so grateful she's taught me so much. And I can tell you the trauma that the parents endure when the children come back to their home. And um, her daughter, Skylin, had been away from her for over a year. And when she was back home the first week, she just kept asking to go home. And I, I wouldn't have known that, but Regina was texting me and telling me this, you know. And I could just say, hey, Regina, you are home. Just, just keep at it, keep at it, you know. So there's really so, it's so complex. It's not as simple as if parents could just get their act together. It's way more complex than that. And um, I think Jesus knows that. I think when he met the woman at the well, he knew it was more complex than that, you know. So those are the numbers to give you some idea of sort of what, what all we're talking about. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Wasn't that amazing, right? Um, So one of the things I, w I want you to, first of all, to feel, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, is to be encouraged because this church is doing beautiful things. You are doing beautiful things. So, you know, front-loading on these scriptures, the point there is to give God's heart. But if we're not careful, we misunderstand, you know. Um, what we're, we're trying to do is say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? And usually it's not epic. Usually it's like a mattress. Well, right? and that story about Regina, I spent less than a minute a week texting her back. It wasn't a huge investment, you yeah. know. So, but one testimony, I want John, because John and Christina have really kind of jumped into this. And so if you give us your testimony just in helping the vulnerable, your, your story looks like, yeah. Yeah, so uh, as a kid, I was raised on my grandpa's stories of attending this camp every year called Royal Family Kids Camp. If you've ever heard of that, I think it's an Assemblies of God ministry where they would bring kids that are in foster care to this camp, and they would, they would have uh, people from the church come and stay in these cabins and just love on these kids that uh, were in a traumatic situation being separated from their families. And I remember as a kid, my grandpa... Uh, would just cry, and he would just talk about these experiences he had and the ways that his heart was being moved and broken. And he would say, and every year I'd, I'd say, I can't, I'm never, I can't do it again. It's just too much. But, but every year he would do it again. <laughs> you know? And so I, I thought, you know, I, I think when I, when I grow up, I want to be a part of this ministry. It seems meaningful and important to the Lord. And, and so as Christine and I were talking about getting married, we, we were discussing, you know, I think we want to be a part of this. Um, and so we did. We had an opportunity to foster um, this just beautiful little three-year-old girl that was just full of life and attitude and spunk, and she was, she was so fun. And what I want to sh share is, is just some of what that did in me. And um, yeah, I just had some of the most significant healing um, experiences with my heavenly father um, through this experience of being a foster father. And, and I was, and Roger Nix told me that would happen. He said, look out, Jonathan, and he, you're going to have some moments with your heavenly father that are going to be special. And I, I couldn't have anticipated just the full force of it. And, and I was trying to think, what was that? Why, 
why did I have just some life-changing moments with the love of the Father? And the best I can understand it is I, I think that in any relationship, but also in our relationship with the Lord, um, there are parts of a person's heart that you can't know until you go with them and do with them what they love to do. You know, and, and there, are, there are parts and facets and beauty in a person that don't get opened up to you, that you don't get to fully experience and know until you take interest in what they're interested in, until you open your heart to what their heart is for. You know? And as Giles showed scripturally, it's really evident and it's really clear that our Father's heart is for the vulnerable. He loves the vulnerable. So when we join with him in doing what he loves to do and, 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 and caring for the people he cares for, we get to have experiences of him and with him. There's a, there's a, a solidarity you know, with, with Jesus and with the Father in going with him to the vulnerable. And, and I, I was thinking about that. And I think when we do open our hearts to the vulnerable and when we go to the vulnerable, we find that Jesus is already there. You know, and we find that I, I think he says to us, thanks for coming. Let's let's be together. Let's let's fellowship and enjoy one another as we love these precious ones together. You know, there's a sharing, a fellowship with him in that that's unique and special. There, there's this uh, song that Madison Cunningham sings called Little Things with Great Love. And she says, at the table of our Savior, no mouth will go unfed. Um, and the children in the shadows, they stream in and they raise their heads. Oh, give us eyes to see them and give us ears to hear because there is one who loves them and we are his hands and feet. And, and I just, that, it moves me to tears, that line that the children in the shadows would stream in and that they'd be dignified and that they'd be able to raise their heads you know, and, and to know that they're loved and to know that they're valued and that they're made in the image of the Almighty God. You know, and I just wanted to share a quick story about um, this little girl. She had just gotten back from uh, a good visit with her biological family who loves her very much. And uh, she'd come home to our house, Christine and me, and she was just really disoriented. Uh, naturally, and she was behaving really badly, and uh, it was getting ready to be time to go to bed, and uh, if you're a parent, you know that that can be hard for any kid, you know, but imagine having just come home from being with biological family, now you're staying with a strange family, and you, you miss your mom, and, and she was just crying and kicking and resisting, you know, everything that she needed to do, and... Um, so finally, we'd gotten her to put her pajamas on, and she, she laid in her bed, and I, and I just sat down next to her. She was screaming and crying, and, and, and I just tried to experience and feel a little bit of what I think she was feeling. You know, what, what, what might that feel like? What might that feel like? And, and I started something that was outside of me, you know, some kind of a compassion that was beyond my own human ability, some kind of a love for her, and I, and, I, and I just put my hand on her as she cried, and I said, are you scared? And she said, she just, in crying, she said, I'm scared. And I just put my hand on her, and she cried, and, and I cried, 
you know, and, and I just got to experience just in, in some limited way representing our Heavenly Father to her, you know, and, and I felt like the Father said to me in that moment that, that, Jonathan, this is my heart for you. You know, this is what I do for you when you're vulnerable, when you're scared, when you're disoriented. I come and I sit next to you and you cry and I cry and I'm with you. So it's just one of the moments that I had with the Father that was really special um, in this experience of fostering. And also it was hard. You know, I think I should say that there were really meaningful, special moments and it was so fun, but also uh, it was challenging. Thank you, John. Well, a few things. What can we do for the vulnerable in Tulsa? Um, Or maybe not. No, no, it's later. So crisis pregnancy. Tell us real quickly about some of these. Sorry. Yeah, so so one of these, uh, a friend of mine I know, that he's actually like the district superintendent for the assemblies for Oklahoma, but his name's Daryl Wooten, and he had a church before he was in that role in Bartlesville, and his thing was to be a member of our church, you have to foster, adopt, or support those who do. Pretty I mean, I was like, bring it, you know, like, come on. So anyway, I've learned a lot from him, but um, I, would, I would add one to that. I would say foster, adopt, mentor, or support those who do. John, Jono and Christina needed our church's support when they were walking through that foster care situation, right? Um, and our other foster families need that too. But there is this role of mentorship um, that plays a big role. And I know that we've talked somewhat about the, the Roe v. Wade decision and how that's changed things. Um, and there's, there's sort of this like thought that if all of these babies who would be aborted will go straight into the child welfare system. And I believe more for that. I believe, I believe that those moms need mentors. I believe those moms need the church. Um, I believe that in order to graduate high school, they're going to need something outside of themselves to keep those babies and have, have a chance to be mama. Um, and we have a role to play in that. And so these are some ministries that help vulnerable populations. So Crisis Pregnancy Outreach, MEND, Medical Services, and Hope Pregnancy Center are all places you could get involved with crisis pregnancy situations. You, there are opportunities there to volunteer, to mentor. There's all manner of things you can do, all manner of things, like answer phones, clean offices. I mean, all manner of things. So we're going to have on the Believer Church is going to have a landing page with all of these linked there, and you can go directly to their website and see how to engage in those. The other one that is one of my favorite ministries is called Stand in the Gap, and they believe James 127, they carry it to fruition. They have a ministry to widows, um, but they also do um, what's called Life Launch, the Life Launch program, and it's a mentorship program for kids 16 to 22 in, the, in Oklahoma and Tulsa. And they, they match two to three mentors with one youth in that age range. And they do trauma training, trauma-informed training for the mentors. And the mentors commit to spend eight hours a month with that young person and for a year. Very doable, and you're doing it with two or three other people. And it's changing lives. It's just answering the relational poverty crisis in that population and really helping. So those are ones to check out. 
And so this, okay. yeah. Yeah, foster care support. Um, their Legacy Family Network is a nonprofit in our area that supports foster families. They have like foster family support night. They do um, Hope for the Journey Conference every year. They do like care bags for foster families. They need volunteers all the time from packing those bags to helping run their family support nights to whatever. So they're a great place. Melinda Ames is their executive director and they're a great place to get connected to. If you have a leaning towards foster care but you're not at a place to do foster care, go help foster parents, right, and connect there. Um, the other one is through Care Portal, um, which we are a, a partner church. We have an opportunity through Care Portal to see needs, vetted needs posted from caseworkers and other agency partners to help support foster families. And um, those are often kinship families in particular that we see, but it, we see all across the board. And um, like I mentioned, that great-grandmother who took in her five great-grandkids, she was helped through Care Portal. So you have an avenue as Believer's Church to participate directly in that. And actually, we have. You have done a stellar job. So Believer's Church has been a Care Portal partner since 2016. Donna Nix made it possible, and she was at the... Where is Donna? Here she is. Love me. Love me some Donna Nix. Her, her heart is bigger than the whole world. And so, um, but, so we've got two stats for you because you guys really upped the game. I shared last November, and since that time, we've just done exponentially more because you guys have engaged. There's lots of ways to engage in Care Portal from answering needs directly to um, helping me with deliveries. I've got my delivery team, the Matthews, David Matthews and his truck has come to the rescue many times. And then um, also, um, and so is Joe Evers, but also funding needs. We've got people here in our midst that just finance needs. I just this week helped a gal with an ID um, that she needed um, because somebody from our church made that possible. It was $53. They took care of that, and I went and helped the gal. Um, so children served. Last year, well, of all time, well, let me say last year. Last year we served 173 children. That's great. Give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah, 173 children. But of all time, we've served 889 kids, almost 900 kids through Care Portal, just Believer's Church. We've met, um, this last year, we met 88 requests, and of all time, we met 400 requests on Care Portal. And then this one, our economic impact is next, I think. This year alone, we've had $77,338 economic impact on the state. Because when the church steps in and helps preserve a placement, right, half of the needs on Care Portal right now in Tulsa are this preventative space, then we're not only sparing families from separation, but we're saving the state bazillions of dollars. Okay. So, so in other words, a $53 ID yes. saved thousands of dollars. That's right. Because okay. that mom is not going to need certain intervention now that she would need if she didn't have her ID. It's it like quadruples the value of it. And of all time, we've had um, $368,000 plus impact on the state, which is a, incredible. For a, for a church our size, that's incredible. Cur currently, we have 481 church partners in our network. Our goal is 1,000, so you guys can pray for us as we're going across the state trying to expand that. And this is remarkable, but um, the, the churches in Oklahoma have now served over 19,000 children. Yeah. 
And um, this one's mind-blowing, but we've now had an economic, the churches in Oklahoma have had an economic impact over $7.5 million. Yeah. So what's so unique about this is that the state says, church, we need you. The state. They're my friends. They come with me to do things. They, they love us. The director of child welfare the other day gave a sermon about generational curses better than any I've ever heard, you know. Um, she loves Jesus, and we have a unique opportunity for the churches of Oklahoma to partner with the state. It's no longer time for us to abdicate our role in this to the state. It's ours to step directly into, and we have a path to do that. Yeah, so real simple here so because i mean this can be overwhelming right except for you can literally use the qr code we've got them on the doors there pray and or care this is these guys are such a gift to us to be able to help us to obey jesus does that make sense they've done all this work so that you could say oh one request twenty dollars i'm doing i'm being the image of jesus for this one particular situation because none of us are asked to solve the whole thing we can't and the humility we get to enjoy is we probably have a little bit to do and and that's that's the whole idea right here is that we get this beautiful chance guys of awareness some of you may have you thought man i want to go volunteer at crisis pregnancy outreach or one of these other places there's a web page we have on our website that you can go to just go into resources for sunday resources it's right there you'll see everything that we have but these two things are just really simple really easy the interface on this is really it really works um and so the purpose of this whole thing is to be near and like jesus This is just one of the ways that we do it, right? So we're trying to be attentive. The center is Jesus himself and what what he's saying to us and how he's rescued us. And then him turning around and like John saying, you know what I love to do? Jesus is like, let's go help this guy because you're not alone anymore, but he's alone. Make sense? So let's stand together. You'll all notice that you had a communion element Porta communion here on your chair. So what I'm going to ask you to do actually is to take this home. In your porta communion, you can do this with your family. You can do it by yourself if you like. And just remember what Jesus brought to you today. And just simply ask him, what do you want me to do? Does that make sense? What do you want me to do? Well, probably I'll be shocked by how humble it is. Or you might be shocked is that he does want you to do something. Because this is what he loves to do. So, John, will you pray for us? Yeah. Yeah. Father, thank you that when we were cut off from you and cut off from life, that you decided that you would send your son so that we could be reconciled to you and adopted into your family forever. So thank you, Lord, that you have adopted us and that with the love that you've given us and the resources that you give us, that we just get to do for others what you've done for us. So Lord, I pray uh, any burdens that are crushing and, and not from you today, Lord, that those would just be 
cast aside. But Lord, if you have a light burden for someone of, of sharing with you in the joy and the suffering of entering into this, Lord, I pray that we could hear it, that we could receive it, um, and that we could do with you um, what you love to do in championing, caring for, loving your vulnerable children. Through you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great week.